The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is the consumer dictatorship. And our guests for today's show are William Swislow, who's the vice president, senior vice president, product and chief information officer with cars.com. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. And I'm assuming that you are enjoying all seasons in one month, especially in March in Chicago. <laughs> yes, I know. The winter coats could go out and go, go away and they come back. And, uh, it's a rather chilly day in Chicago, but, uh, not chilly for March, but chilly for this month. Uh, yeah, so so we, we've had a fun ride here. But how's life? How's business? How's family? How's work? Uh, business is good. Um, we we play in the automotive space, and and that space having bottomed out uh, in the recession, uh, it, it's all been good since. So uh, this, you know, the automotive market continues to rebound a little slow, more slowly than we would like, but uh, faster than in some other countries. So uh, we're doing well here. Great. And we also have Gene Bliss, who is the author of numerous best-selling books on customer experience and also the president of Customer Bliss. Good morning, Gene. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? How are you yourself? I am just doing fine. As you see, I have fun asking questions during the show, so that's the best <laughs> thing you can do. Uh, and, and you got, of course, all the answers. So how do you find your answers? Are they, uh, are they really answering uh, the, the, the painful and somehow difficult questions that are posed? Related to customer experience. Well, I think that what what we're seeing, and you know, I love your 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 topic. The consumer di- dictatorship is actually becoming a really terrific forcing is the wrong word, but motivator for business to understand that they need to earn the right to their customer growth and to their customer advocacy. And um, I'm loving it because it it is uh, helping push the rock up the hill that we have been trying to push for many many years. So. It's uh, it's been terrific. Now, Bill, let's let's start with you. So, when we look at traditional models, I mean, we have been doing business, of course, and have been serving our customers. We always had a side which customer never used to know about, and perhaps that gave us a sense of control. But then, do you think if customer is not informed, if they are not uh, privy to what essentially they are consuming? Is that truly getting an upper hand for the business, or is it actually creating dissatisfaction for the customer? Well, I mean, I think that 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 the yeah that the answer probably has varied with time and, and in the life cycle of, of certain businesses, um, I, 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 and and the the change in expectations. So certainly in in today's world, 
uh, customers have a much higher expectation of understanding the products they buy, understanding uh, where is the best place to buy them. I mean, the whole phenomenon of people uh, checking prices on their on their portable phones when they're shopping in stores clearly is a fundamental change. You know, some some marketplaces have lived with that for a long time, uh, and it's interesting when in automotive when when online automotive first started getting going, car dealers were were just outraged that consumers were able to see invoice prices of new cars because. Their attitude was when you go into uh, a Macy's, you don't know the wholesale price of the clothes you're buying in Macy's. Why should you know the wholesale price of the car you're shopping for? But on the other hand, in the real estate industry, um, you know, car home buyers have known for decades what the selling prices of houses are and have always sort of known the market value of a house. So, you know, it's varied industry by industry. What's happening is, in a sense, the, the market's, across the economy are becoming more efficient and more transparent, and that has certainly taken adjustment. Um, you know, whether you're better off with informed shoppers or not, uh, you know, I think, I think if you get to people's hearts of hearts, you'll find different opinions, but the high road clearly is to believe that everyone benefits from transparent markets and from in, informed buyers and sellers. And, you know, there's an argument in automotive that uh, on the one hand, it, it's tended to compress margins a bit because uh, uh, the car sellers aren't able to get away with outrageously high prices, but it's also made the car selling process more efficient and faster, so it opens the opportunity to actually sell more goods because consumers, when they go into a dealership, have a much clearer idea of what they want and what they're willing to pay and what's a fair price, so often the transactions close faster than they did in the past. So. You know, there's a lot of people in the automotive world, a lot of car dealers who kind of long for the old days when they clearly had the upper hand, but um, the most progressive and successful dealers are tending to feel like they can still thrive even in, in a world where they're dealing with much more informed shoppers. Now, Gene, as you go and look across uh, different types of products or solutions or services which are being sold and then consumed, mm-hmm. is the consumer a mindset? is that they feel a sense of accomplishment when they literally squeeze every penny and, and, and get it as close to the cost as if they were going to the very manufacturer versus buying it while they are buying through a channel? Well, you know, I think that's a great question. But here's what we know about what's going on with customers today is that, to the point earlier, what they really want is clarity, honesty, and transparency. Nobody is going to begrudge that a business is in business to make a profit. What puts a customer on that high results path is when they believe that something is being held from them, that the company is deliberately trying to get the upper hand. So what we're finding in many industries is customer outrage and the even to the point of taking legal action. You know, we saw that AT&T story that just broke in Business Week around unlimited plans, but yet if you read the... the, the um, the small print, it wasn't unlimited. We've seen other things going on with other industries. The banking industry has had to reset. What happens when a customer doesn't feel like they're getting a fair shake is it, it pulls out the bad behavior, you know, the, the defensive behavior. It's Pavlovian, right? But what we are seeing is, especially in this economic downturn and the, the recovery that's ensuing, is that when customers feel there is 
a one-to-one relationship that is based on honesty and truth and sharing information, such as the shift we're seeing in the car industry, such as the shift we're seeing even in the real estate industry where, um, as you mentioned, realtors have had to share information they didn't be in the past because customers have total access to the MLS. I mean, that was the, the corollary. Realtors were very fearful when the MLS was going up. I was at Coldwell Banker when we were putting that up for the first time. So I think that that's the difference in the shift is the perception of fairness and what kind of behavior that drives um, when customers feel like they're not getting a fair deal. Let, let, let me add something. Uh, the, real, the, the real estate example is interesting. I have some experience there having, uh, in, my, in my previous life, worked on uh, building real estate uh, products for the Chicago Tribune. And mm-hmm. my company, uh, my parent company now, Classified Ventures, which is the parent of Cars.com, has been involved in the real estate market. Uh, in the automotive market, the, the industry, with some reluctance, but ultimately really embraced the Internet as a more efficient way to reach shoppers, and clearly shoppers embraced it. In real estate, the industry was dragged online kicking and screaming. There were tremendous barriers put up to that transparency of information, in ter- especially specifically in terms of access to MLS data. I, and, I agree. And, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And, and, and arguably, the, the real estate industry has suffered, um, and, and in many cases, in, in many respects, is, is well behind other industries in terms of using uh, the internet and, and online capabilities to make a more efficient and, and really a better marketplace for buyers and sellers. So that's an example where you have an industry that organized itself and, and some would argue uh, uh, somewhat semi-monopolistically to try to resist transparency in their industry, and, and everyone is still suffering from that. Uh, no, Bill, I agree with you more, and that was actually why I brought up the example, because you had mentioned earlier that real estate was had an easier time of it. And, and in fact, when I was at Coldwell Banker, we built the first website, and like you said, it was very, very challenging getting the agents to understand that there was value in being that le- at, at that level of transparency. Customers, on the other hand, felt like they had power they had never had before because previously when you went out with, a, with an agent, you know, you were, you were totally, you know, left to just what those three pieces of paper they had printed out from the MLS that they thought they should take you to. So I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that it's, it's very indicative of what's, what the difference between a company that's thriving and a company that continues to look over its shoulder and try to hide things from customers, and it really is impeding their growth. It really is impeding their ability to get past being shopped by cost and being, be, having customers who, who go after them in, with vigor because they feel like they, you know, they're never getting a, share, a fair shake. So that's a great point. I agree with you on that. Now, in both of you, the way you expressed uh, you know, your, your views on this topic, are we saying that some of the businesses do not have the intent to be transparent or perhaps it could be that they are not able to because if they do, they do not have anything left for them to make a profit out of it? Because if they're telling people about their invoice pricing, that how much can they make if the margins become so thin that they cannot even cover their costs, then what's the point in remaining in business? Bill? Um I mean, the, 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 there are challenges, and you know, certain businesses and in certain industries uh, uh, have a hard time adjusting. Um, I, I mentioned I worked at Chicago Tribune, uh, so the newspaper industry is an example of an industry that had 
insanely big margins, particularly in the classified advertising space. Um, you know, many newspapers were, were in a monopolistic or semi-monopolistic position in their markets. And, and if you talk to anyone who, who 10 or 15 years ago was buying help wanted advertising in a newspaper, um, they will tell you the, 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 what, what from their point of view were the outrageous, uh, fees they had to pay for a three or four line help wanted ad. And the internet, you know, wiped out that business and, and the, the, the challenge for newspapers, uh, contrary to what many people think, which, you know, often it's attributed to readership issues, which, you know there are some of those, but the bigger issue was that that when Monster.com uh, started publishing help wanted ads online, what had been a $800 four-line ad in the newspaper became a free listing on Monster.com, or or in any case over time a much less expensive listing. And so the newspaper suffered from that margin compression because of a more efficient uh, way of publishing information, and the newspapers themselves embraced online, published online. But the fact is that, that their margins disappeared and led newspapers like Tribune Company uh, into bankruptcy. Um, in automotive, there's certainly there, the, the, the margin pressure on dealers actually predated the internet in the, in the new car space, and dealers adjusted by building out businesses in other parts of in other areas. So, at most car dealers today, the the used car business, the parts and repair business, the finance business are all far more profitable than new car business. So is there pressure on margins? There is, but, um, you know, when, the, when your margin is built on inefficiency and lack of transparency, that's probably just not sustainable in the long run, certainly not in a, in, in a world where information is ubiquitous. I mean, even if that may have been true in the past, that you could protect your business by by sort of cloaking it in obscurity, that just doesn't seem like a viable strategy anymore. I mean, for better or worse. So, Jade, I'd, I'd like to share something. Recently, I watched a documentary on airlines on mm-hmm. Netflix, and they were talking about, you know, doing all the good things that they can to build customer experience, and then they interviewed a couple of people who were essentially passengers, and they mentioned, you know what, I care less. Show me the best price it, and, and I can fly on a two-hour flight. I don't want those amenities as long as I pay the least. If that's the mindset, is it truly practical for organizations to really work towards kind of building customer loyalty and or retaining them versus focusing on a transaction so that they can stay afloat? Well, you know, I think that that's, that's a good question, but I think that also that's a, a simple way to translate it from listening to a customer, couple customers, here's what we know, is that, yes, you've got businesses that are going to sell only based on, co- on cost, but what we know about customer experience and about what is driving customer loyalty is that you may, you may be happy that you got a seat for $50 less, but if the food is bad, if the front line is rude, if the plane doesn't leave on time, which are all experience elements, at the end of the day, you're not going to care, or you're going to care a lot less that you spent $50 less on it. So what happens is that we have gating requirements from an experience standpoint that must exist. What, what is misinterpreted sometimes is the difference between customer experience reliability and customer experience wow moments or differentiating moments. Every customer, regardless of what they pay, wants to have reliability in the experience, and especially in a world of social media. If a customer cannot tell another customer, here's what I got, here's how it goes, 
Here's how I was treated, and here's how I felt. And yes, emotion plays into it, even with a cost purchaser. Then you don't have a story to tell, or you only have a story as good or bad as the last customer experience. So cost is important, but experience, and especially experience reliability, will be a gating factor and will drive someone, even if they spent less, to another company, to another business, to another airline. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, Bill, when we come back, I'd like to ask uh, this question where uh, the customers might have their own perception on what it is that they want. How do you get to it? How, what, is, what is your channel to get that feedback? And then if you do get that feedback, how do you incorporate that into the very DNA of your organization? It could be cars.com or another, but perhaps you can relate to cars.com and any other organization that you work with so that the end result is an ongoing uh, good customer service and or other experience. And there are on a regular basis moments that are created as per gene so that you do get to that retention and loyalty and not just be playing the price war. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an Instant On world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, uh, Bill, the question here is how do you collect effectively uh, customer feedback on a regular basis? And based on whatever you come to know what they're thinking and are looking for, what do you do to change, uh, incorporate those things as, uh, as a change in your DNA and your organization's DNA so that you start meeting and exceeding expectations and start delivering that wow moment? So, Sanjog, when you, when you, before the break, when you posed the question, you, you actually mentioned one of the, the landmines in, in this area of how you listen to your customers, because you alluded to what could be the importance of doing what customers want. And, and that's, that's one of the, the, the toughest issues for companies that are trying to be customer-centric, is distinguishing between what customers want or what customers say they want and what customers need and, and will actually um, love and be loyal to. 
Um, you know, at cars.com, we, we gather customer feedback and customer information in many ways. I mean, the first thing I should say is we're both a business-to-consumer and a business-to-business uh, company. We, we sell products to businesses, basically to car dealers and car makers, but uh, our website customers are consumers. So it's, it's a little bit different story, but, but in the consumer space, which is mostly what we're talking about here, uh, you know, we, we, we try to understand our customers. There's no one way to do that. Um, so we, uh, we do some traditional market research. Uh, we do focus groups, although um, focus groups are of somewhat limited value. We do uh, extensive usability testing, one-on-one user interviews, watching them interact with our products, uh, talking to consumers individually about the car shopping process. We survey customers. We use something called Net Promoter Score, so we survey our users on a continuous basis, um, basically asking them would they recommend cars.com to a friend or acquaintance and why. We get tremendous insight from that, less about the score, uh, you know, a 1 to 10 score, and more about the verbatim comments they give us. And we also, I mean, we survey customers periodically in other more in-depth surveys, and we also watch what customers do on the site very carefully. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to gather a, a wide variety of data to understand what customers, um, how you can best serve and retain your customers. It, it is helpful to know what customers say they want, but that's mostly helpful uh, as background to, to give you a context of how customers think about your product or the space you're in. But what customers say they want is often not uh, reflected in their behavior. And the example that, that we have seen over and over, year after year, is customers will tell us that, well, when I'm buying a car, I'm very concerned about safety. Safety is at the top of my list of what I care about. When we watch what customers actually do on our website, where we have all kinds of information about safety, very few of them look at safety information. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't care about safety, but it, it, it would it be an indicator that, that safety is not nearly as important in the shopping process as they may say it is. So if you built a product very much focused on delivering safety information to car shoppers, uh, you would probably have a hard time gaining customers and retaining them. Um, so the real flashes of brilliance and creativity are taking all, all of that input from what they say they want to what they actually do on your site to what they actually do when they leave your site, which is a little harder to get at, and, and making, you know, synthesizing that into an understanding of what products and features and services you can deliver that will really resonate. And it's, it is uh, not an exact science, um, I'd have to admit, but um, it, it does allow us to be, it allows the company to be responsive uh, to customers, but not, as I say, not always exactly in the way they say they want. So, Gene, we've heard that there's even a role being crafted in some companies called chief listening officer, mm-hmm. where there is an accountability established and, and some point of uh, one neck to choke, essentially, created where people are truly listening, but listening not in an ad hoc manner, and they are also bringing that that understanding that what they heard, this is what that what it meant, and this is what is to change, and if it, there are changes made, this is how the outcome uh, was, and this is how it was measured, and thus the investment made was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. To what degree do you think that is happening pervasively? Well, here's what we know is that organizations have been built because they have to be built to 
manage technical and operational competencies. They've been built to around silos. The reason why some of these uniting uh, roles, chief customer officer, listening officer, which is actually embedded in that role, customer experience officer, whatever you might call it, has been created, and is that there needs to be, at least for a period of time until it's embedded in the DNA for people to work collaboratively from an annual planning standpoint, from a driving action standpoint, we need to align the way listening occurs. So, for example... In the beginning of a lot of this work with many of the organizations I work with, even when I was at Microsoft and Allstate and other companies, you'd, you know, start to say, okay, who's sending surveys out to customers? You'd have every department and their brother sending multiple surveys out to customers. So you're randomizing the customer, you're not aggregating the information, and you're certainly not driving action in a systematic and systemic end-to-end solution way. Everybody's cherry-picking at the survey to get rid of a lousy score or to change the outcome or do a regression analysis. Uh, That was always my favorite, to get rid of the bad score. So what we know is, and I agree with you, Bill, 100%, that listening cannot be just about the survey. If you're hearing new information from the customer on the survey, then you haven't been listening hard enough. Every day your customers are giving you feedback. Into your call center, you should trend and track that that information. Behaviorally, how they respond with your products and services. Um, What what we know also is that across your touch points, your experience moments of truth, there should be key performance indicators that you are managing proactively. Like Bill said, not waiting for the customer to tell you what they want or need, but managing what you know are the reliability requirements for delivering consistency on that experience. A lot of companies have tried to make this work, you know, for many years by saying, sending out corporate edicts or, you know, really trying to reinforce it. Everybody, we need to be customer-focused, and people want to be. But our scorecards are built silo by silo, and so we need a uniting function to bring that together, to, to unite the way the work is done, and to congregate listening in an end-to-end way so we can manage the customer experience and drive better improvements collaboratively and consistently. Because what happens is, you know, if you look at an IT, um, the, the IT plan, 15 different departments might go to IT asking for the same thing differently. That is randomizing. It spends a lot of money, and we really don't end up fixing anything. Now, with that said, uh, you being the top dog, Bill, in your organization where the information is to be managed and the the way it is getting created, as Jean mentioned, across multiple departments, how do you keep a tab on all those siloed efforts and, and bring them together, perhaps give them the confidence that don't try to do it yourself? Give it to me and I'll get my, my crew get started on this. Well, I, 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 I don't know that I would claim my company is a great example of, of, of having solved that problem. Actually, we are quite focused on that as we speak. Um, we have some significant initiatives. Um, we've actually, we, we, we probably haven't been, we haven't suffered as acutely as, as the, as Jean was alluding to with, um, uh, uh, Siloitis. Siloitis in terms of like surveys and people just trying to, to to diminish uh negative stuff. I mean, we have a fairly oh, good. forthright culture here. Um 
And, well, it wasn't about not being forthright, but, you know, people want to understand and just want to yep. feel that they've done a good job. So yep. I apologize if I represented no. it that way. No, no, but but I, I hear what you're saying about, uh, you know, you can have a situation where you have sort of com- you have people, groups within a company sort of competing to tell different stories based yep. on their silo data. And we yep. actually have a little bit of that here, but but the, the, the product and marketing organizations here work pretty closely together on uh, on customer research so so our practice there is fairly well coordinated we do have a challenge um, managing uh, uh, use of uh, business intelligence business analytics and and it's partly because we we, we uh, there there is an argument for for a fair amount of decentralization in terms of, of business user access to business information and business analytics um, the problem is if, if you don't have a, a strong sort of central group managing that process, you do start finding problems with silos or um, problems keeping your data consistent, uh, people, uh, problems with conflicting stories based on, on slightly different ways of defining data. And we're actually working, and, and we probably have been guilty of being a little too decentralized, so we're actually working on building a stronger central hub within my organization that would own data governance, um, data definition, data integrity. Um, but, but uh, you know, I think, I think this is, you know, one of the many areas where, where you need to strike a balance um, because if you are overly siloed, you, you do run into problems where even internally uh, it's hard to be credible because uh, there's always people with a slightly different uh, uh, slightly different take on on any given data set and when when you don't coordinate that it it can it can you know undermine everyone um, so so you know we're we kind of view it as a hub and spoke model uh but but you know it is it is a little tricky to to avoid uh the silo situation but you know on the on the customer side in particular we we've probably done a better job in that area than some other areas now, uh, Gene, in your uh, experience, how do you think the customer is looking to be served? I mean, are they looking for a holistic wow moments in all t- across all touch points, or are they thinking, uh, you know, when I go truly to shop, that's the time when I should be wowed? What is what is the the benchmark that an average Joe consumer is is holding right holding us to? Well, you know, I mean, I think that. There are there are moments, you know, when I was at Land's End, we mapped the moments of truth, for example. We had 222 moments of truth. We did this back in 1984. It was really framing how we, we drove our growth strategy. What we know about business and what we've seen oh, across many, many industries, what I've personally been involved in and what we do with my coaching clients is that, yes, you might have those 220 moments of truth. You need to make sure there is reliability. What the customer first and foremost wants to make sure is, is when I contact you, do you have the information I need? Are you going to fill my order on time? If I if I call, is there someone to call? You know, is there reliability so you're taking care of me? So that is what we we always have to tackle first is the reliability of the experience. And there's been a lot made about the wow moments, which are important, and you can identify what those are. But if you don't have reliability first, 
you're never going to get to the wow moment, or you might spend a lot of money. One of the analogies I, I give to people is, look, if you're a hotel and you want to give a customer the option of what music plays when they open, their, open the door to their room and what chocolate's on their pillow, but if there's hair in the sink and dirt under the bed or a rude person at the front counter, then all of those wow things don't make any sense. You've just misspent your money. So it, customers, first and foremost, want to be taken care of want, and want reliability. And then identify the few places that you want to differentiate and differentiate perhaps by customer segment or by customer profitability. Um, and, and, and that's really where we most of the work is, is in the process and the experience improvement to get to reliability. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's explore the situations where we indeed did not meet a customer's expectations. So there will be some disgruntled customers. There would be some dissatisfied customers. That does not mean that we say, okay, let's move on to the rest of the other ones who we can satisfy because this person we tried very hard, but we, we, we could not please. What is it that we do to balance in terms of regaining the new the, the other customers who were earlier with us but because of our lack of planning or uh, the way we created the experience for them we lost them versus re, like basically gaining new customers and bowing them so there are different levels at which we need to operate as an organization but what's going on with that in these all of these areas please stay tuned we'll be right back and explore Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Bill, what about the dissatisfied customers who you need to win back or do you want to win back as compared to the efforts that are being going in to create the wow moment? So do you have, like, different battalions who you deploy when um, you, you, you hear negative feedback about anything that might have happened and really try to work hard and that is a different set of processes and people working on it compared to what you do to, to create the buzz in the marketplace that we are the best? 
so, so on, on the in the consumer space, you know, the the interesting thing I, I, for us, I would say, is we probably we probably tend to spend too much of our of our total development time and effort focused on on trying to address problems rather than creating wow moments. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, I think that that. Uh, you know that that's sort of the 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 gravitational pull is, is you know is to look at the people who are already using your product understand um uh you know you you want to make it better for them and and you especially want to understand the way it's failing because of the view that that it's you know easier to keep a customer as it's it's a lot more economical to keep a customer and 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 get more lifetime value than to churn through customers so um you know, we put a tremendous amount of effort into understanding the problems that that people have using our site, the the problems in the shopping experience that um, sometimes uh, we cause, but more often are caused downstream from our website. But but we we are held responsible for by our customers, and you know, many of the enhancements we've done over the years directly uh, directly. Re- our direct response to to issues that we've either seen in in terms of site behavior or that that people have told us about in surveys, um, as I say, and 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 that that can be all consuming, and and we're actually making a trying to make a more conscious effort to reserve uh, a share of our uh, of our uh, resources for uh, innovation and creating uh, more dramatically new and and wowing type. Uh, experiences um but but uh, you know i would say the challenge is actually doing that it's it's less about uh, uh having resources available to to fix things that are broken or to make incremental improvements so uh, gene while it looks like that since it's connected to the revenue and top line growth etc it should be uh, given it must be be given due attention by the executive management. But do you think people get confused and or they get mixed up between that? Should I really spend more time on retaining the current ones who I do not know if I can keep them forever anyways, versus going out and trying to find new? Well, it's you know it's a, such a great question, and it depends on the industry. There's some industries that are are, are just consistently think of themselves as acquisition companies and so they spend so much time on on new customers but what happens is that you you just do a little bit of customer math for them for example and and I do it with a very simple <laughs> it's just baby math you know what is the volume and value as much as you can calculate of a new customer of the the new customers you've gotten in this quarter, for example, what is the volume and value of the customers you've lost, especially in a very large consumer business where you have an enormous database? These these numbers run bigger and are much more dramatic. And you just you can show in a simple bar chart above the line and below the line, quarter to quarter, uh, new and lost, and what the net incre- incremental increase would have been in terms of growth and profitability if you have ke- had kept the customers that you lost because what happens is we're actually just refilling the leaky bucket and what we're finding is as soon as we can find a way to do that customer math and engage the executives and at the board level in that math and understanding it's you know to Bill's point that it is it is about growing that customer asset and earning the right to, you know, not just the first car, but the second car or the first house or the second house or the incremental services, that is really where your growth is going to come. So so we're finding just doing some simple math 
and is is becoming very engaging and important that you know yes you've got bricks and mortar yes you've got products that are asset but how are you managing that a customer asset is it growing is it losing or you know are you using you know for me for example the word retention rate is a false positive if you consistently are at 68% let's say you know think of how much higher you could have been if you hadn't lost as many as you did because you it's just your running rate doesn't show really the loss or growth of that asset now, with, with what you just said, how much value does the management put on the IT department, which is essentially churning out all the data or perhaps give you some of the proactive inputs which you could use to to get ahead in your game? Are you asking me that? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I have, uh, I have found that the earlier IT is involved in the process, the better we are, the best – Work that we've we've accomplished has been where IT is a partner at the table, not just from a project standpoint, but strategically giving their thoughts, providing input, because we really need to aggregate that information. For example, when we start with a company, just the definition of a new customer could be classified and categorized 40, 50, 20, depending on how many different databases you've got, different ways across the operational silos. So we need... We need support and help immediately in getting agreement and the tagging and flagging of that information. And um, I've I found it's very, very powerful. The best efforts always begin when the CIO and the IT group has a seat at the table at the very beginning. And do you, along with giving them seat at the table and have them share all your inputs, do you also give them the empowerment so that they can actually get things done? Because when they go to individual businesses and say, share your flavor of data that you're collecting so that we can give one version of the truth, and people say that's not your problem. Well, are you asking, say the question again. I mean, are you asking, are people resistant to that sometimes? Yes. Well, sure. You know, I mean, it's human nature to... To, to say, you know, look, I've been running my, my service and parts database and I know what I've got and I can manage it and all my metrics line up to the way I've configured my data. Um, sometimes it definitely does take some convincing, um, and, and IT is a great ally in that as well as, you know, you need to get the executives on board as well because it goes back, it always goes back to people's scorecards. Um, you know, if your scorecard is based on the little engine you've created and you know how to get to that that result, it, you're, you're giving something up a little bit in the short term while we're all integrating the data. So, Bill, besides churning the data and giving that one version of the truth, are there other avenues where your department could actually add value? Maybe at cars.com, like where you are holding the reins, but across different industries where to provide the customer experience, to gain their loyalty, et cetera, et cetera, there must be something beyond turning out reports and giving it to other line of business leaders to do their job. Yeah, uh, you know, of course, it depends on, on the industry you're in, and and I, I coming from being in the media industry, um, there there's a intimate connection between IT and and the rest of and what the company produces. So, um, you know, the products we produce are very much technology products, and you know, you go on a website, and that's basically a, a technology uh, a software product. So, so in our case. Um, we need our IT department to be uh, as much an engine of innovation, of direct product innovation, as anyone else in, in the business, uh, which means that there, there has to be um, a fundamental sort of uh, 
agreement and alignment around the same set of goals across all the departments, whether it's sales, marketing, product, or technology, and and that's what we we strive for. We also find that that in in our business, um, having technologists who who really understand the customer, uh, who 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 go to who who consume customer research, who who I mean, there's nothing more eye-opening for a, for a, for an engineer in in you know writing software that that delivers the customer experience to sit through a round of uh, usability testing to see how real users actually interact with the software they're writing. I mean, that that's absolutely essential. So it's not in our case, it's not just about reporting. Now, in different businesses, IT will be more or less intimate with the brand experience, but you know, I think in in today's world. Um, if nothing else, through through the ways that companies directly communicate the brand experience using uh, web products, mobile products, uh, uh, you know, the role of technology and the the sort of intimacy of technology with delivering uh, value to customers it, it has got to be only increasing. Um, I, I think in a manufacturing business it might be a little bit different, um, but but certainly in, in most segments I got to believe that technology is more and more important. And when I go when I talk to peers in, in other industries and go to technology conferences, it's clearly on everyone on the mind of CIOs and CTOs in all industries of, of how they can be more of an engine of innovation, how they can drive more value. And I would argue that that, that a foundation for any, any technologist is, is to be as knowledgeable about the customer as the people in marketing or the people in product management and similar uh, departments. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, when we come back, Gene, the question would be for you where we need to figure out what would be uh, the next stage of evolution for customer experience. The new normal is here, the different type of technologies, the different type of customers, their expectations, everything is changing. So, so you're literally drawing on a white sheet of paper. So what would you like to draw as the next generation customer experience and how should organizations change their fundamental fabric, if you will, to to basically deliver that customer experience so that they can survive and be profitable. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at HP.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit HP.com for answers.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll free 1 866 472 5790. Now back to the show. Here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Gene, next generation customer experience. Is there something like that, or I could take whatever we used to try to do? to produce 30 years ago would still be relevant. And then how well, you know, my, my dream is that companies learn to emancipate themselves from uh, moving to the right or the left using survey results and more get to, you know, kind of like what you said, back to the future of understanding customers and their lives, uh, their motivations and their emotions, and, you know, going back to the old-fashioned merchant approach of, you, you know, really understanding what drives and motivates a customer by by being close enough to them to observe them, to listen, and and innovate and build experiences, build in those touches uh, based on really understanding the customer in their life. You know, we did simple things that grew Land's End, for example, and I, I use that example because that was 30 years ago. You know, when we when we started the kids' business, for example. We wanted to build a great product, and we did. We wanted to stand out in the marketplace, but we also wanted to touch an emotional cord with parents and family members. And so simple things like we printed the flaps of the largest shipping boxes with the head and the tail of a cow, a sheep, and a horse. So you could assemble the lands and shipping box into an animal. Your kid could ride over the, all over the house. You know, and there's no focus group or survey in the world that would have told us, hey, we want you to turn your boxes into animals. Um, but as I give speeches around the world, 30 years later, I still have people that come up to me and talk about that box and that they won't throw it away because it's still in that attic. How do we touch an emotional cord? How do we connect with as human beings with customers and deliver experiences they want to have themselves so that we create memories? You know, memory creation is the currency of the brand, of anybody's brand. We need to create memory makers. I know that sounds kind of ludicrous, but I think it's in those memories that we have the wow moments and that people will want to come back and ask for more. Now, uh, Bill, like my son would spend more time on on phone and texting versus talking about things which are emotional and play with a cardboard animal. <laughs> Thank you. So, so would that change in the next breed of consumers? What is it that you feel we got to be doing with respect to building those wow moments and continue that effort where the very, very uh, instruments or, or things that we're going to use to create those moments would no longer be relevant in next few years, the way the pace at which the whole thing is changing? So, so, so I, I do think that, that Gene is right that, 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 that there's a quality of understanding your marketplace and your customer that, that is very traditional and old-fashioned, and, and you, you have to do that. And, and there's no tool or, you know, simple device that replaces that. And, and I also think that there is a element of creativity and be, the ability to make creative leaps and not be a slave to the data or to what people say they want. 
um, that that is an intangible that 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 is is a rare quality and and it's the thing that 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 differentiate truly successful businesses. Sometimes that creativity is in very mundane areas, right? I mean, presumably the people at Walmart who built their their uh, supply chain, uh, you know, which is what you know most people would attribute Walmart's success to. I mean, that's a very mundane process, yet it, it transformed the retail industry over a period of decades. Um, on the other hand, when we talk about about customer expectations and sort of new generations of customers. Uh, you know, I, I think that there are there are there are things that are very much technology and data centric, and and what I think of in, in in many marketplaces is is it's a buzzword in the in the technology world today, but it's a relevant one is the concept of big data, the ability to to really uh, churn through massive amounts of data to create. But 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 I think of it in 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 terms of that that is one of the ways to create a wow moment and. What I think about is, is in the early days of the Internet, you know, I've sat through a lot of focus groups, and one of the things I always come, came away from is in those days, people seemed to think that websites had ESP, that a website could <laughs> magically know exactly what you wanted and what you needed without you actually giving them any input. They would just know, um, like they could read your mind, and it was extremely unrealistic and, and was pretty impossible to fulfill. What, what I think is becoming... It's cool. It's also a little concerning, but there's a wonderful opportunity. Is actually, I think we're getting closer to the point where websites will seem to have ESP and will actually finally deliver on what users, early users of the web, expected. That 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 through the ability to to to, to really churn through massive amounts of data. To to, to there's a there's a computer under a, a sort of a computer driven understanding of your customer based on on observed behaviors and then relating those observed behaviors to a very large sample of of other people that 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 computers and 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 data analytics can deliver an experience to consumers that they would never expect now now if if there was a, a wonderful story about target in the new york times a couple of weeks ago and their ability to to observe user behavior particularly around pregnancy and Deliver promotions to consumers that were exactly what the consumer needed. The problem was if you if you're not careful, and Target is very thoughtful about this, uh, it's actually creepy because what what, what uh, companies know about their consumers today and what they're able to access through through powerful use of, of big data and analytics is is far beyond what people many people are comfortable with customers knowing. But it also allows customers to deliver those wow moments of exactly what the person needs, even if they didn't tell the company that they need that. So, um, but 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 there's still, but it still requires uh, some old-fashioned creativity and, and insight and comprehension to, to know how how to use those powerful IT-delivered uh, data sets and analytics. So so it's not it's not it seems like magic, but of course it's not. One final question, 30 seconds each. What do you think are the top two things businesses should be doing differently going forward in order for them to deliver that wow uh, moment? Perhaps 20 seconds each. Bill, let's start with you. Very quick. So uh, let me, I'll talk about the, the IT world, which, which is, um, is, not to, not to, is to try to not focus inward, to try to focus outward. Um, in, in the case of mobile, which is transforming a lot of industries, not to worry so much about managing employee devices, 
but worry about how to use mobile technology to deliver a better brand experience to your customer. Gene, um, 20 seconds. Reframe your business from the way your customer traverses the life cycle. Don't talk about operation sales marketing, but reframe and gain alignment across the operation and connect the silos and build an experience from the customer experience point of view. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Bill and Gene. This was definitely a very insightful conversation. And consumer dictatorship may no longer be seen that way because they are just trying to be uh, good consumers who want to meet their expectations. And it's basically upon the organizations to get to know them a little more intimately and then deliver the experience that they're looking for. Thank you so much and uh, good luck. Thank you. And uh, listeners, if you have any questions, please send us to views at CIOtalkradio.com. That is views at CIOtalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio.